The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 through 20 is where we'll be this morning and also tonight as well. Uh, Two separate sermons. I hope to get through all of 8 through 20 this morning and then tonight talk about something a little different from the same passage But I want to ask you, as you turn there to Galatians chapter 4, to kind of try to bring us to where Paul is at this point. Have you ever had the opportunity in your life to raise children or to teach children um, or even to uh, walk with somebody and kind kind of mentor somebody through a process. If, if you've had the chance to do any of those things, I just want you to slip your hand up real quick so I can kind of get a grasp to maybe yeah, raise kids, teach kids, anything along those lines. Yeah, most of us in here have had that opportunity. And I would dare say if you didn't even raise your hand, you, you've had more of those opportunities than you, than you think. Maybe not to raise up a child or, or something like that, but to be able to, to train someone or, or to work with someone. Maybe it's even in a, in a work environment where you've had that opportunity before to try to, to try to lead somebody. Paul had the privilege through the Lord to do this on multiple occasions with a lot of different churches. And we kind of get a sneak peek into his relationship with this church in Galatia. He started this church. He preached at this church. He raised up a lot of these people, trained them and, and exhorted them and encouraged them and lived life alongside of them. And then he, he went away. The church was healthy. But then he started hearing some things that were going on in this church. And it was it was difficult and it was hard. I don't know what your situation was like as you raised your kids or anything like that. I'm sure all of you would say they're, they're perfect. I did a fantastic job, right? It's, it's difficult and it's hard as, as we're in leadership positions at all, whether it's parenting or whatever it is, as we <clears throat> pour our life into somebody, we, we really do our best to, to, to do well to them, to, to train them well. And it's very hard to, to release that. It's very hard to let go. And what makes it even more difficult at times is when you let go and you see them doing bad. You see them making bad decisions. You see them making bad choices. You, you see them maybe not succeeding in what you know they could be succeeding in. It's, it's very difficult. And I don't know how you approach those situations, but the way that Paul has approached this situation so far is with theology, He's just laid it on them. This is what you are going to, and this is why it is wrong. And so he has told them about the law. He has taught them about grace. He really has just poured it on. And if you remember at the beginning of the letter, there were no kind words at the beginning. It wasn't, oh, to the people that I love and to that I adore, I'm so glad to get to talk to you again. There was none of that. It was, whoa, what you're doing is bad. You need to listen to me here, right? Well, now where we get to this morning, as we've got through four chapters, finally, and we get to eight through 20, what you're going to see is we're going to see Paul, I don't want to say calm down because I think that's the wrong word, but all of a sudden what we're going to see is we're going to start to see his heart in the matter. He's been laying all this truth on them and you're going to see why he's been doing it. His pastoral heart is really going to come out for us, especially when we get to verse 11. So listen with me as I read chapter 4, verse 8 through 20. 
It says, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. We want to stop there this morning. I want to break this up into three sections today. I don't know if any of you take notes, but maybe this will help. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 first and see what it means to know love, but to run from it. And then we're going to look at verse 11 through 16 and see what it means to know satisfaction, but to turn from it. And then in verse 17 through 20, to know growth, but then to shrink from it. When we look at verse 8 through 10, we see that Paul talks to them about knowing love and running from it. But first, in verse 8, he says that they had been serving false gods, but they had no knowledge of this. They were, they were ignorant of the fact that they were serving false gods before they had heard about Christ. But yet, in their ignorance, they were still rebels against God. There was there was no saying, well, you were ignorant of that, so God's not going to hold you reliable for this. No, that's, or hold you liable for this. That's, that's not how it goes. They were sinning against God, even in their ignorance. But Paul doesn't stop there in verse 8. He then goes on to, to verse 9, which I think is very important for our section. He says, but now, after you have known God, and it's almost as if he stumbles for a second and, and says, wait, I don't mean just known God but rather that you've been known by God. And he wants to clarify that. Yes, yes, you know God, but even more, you are known by God. And I, I want us to look real briefly at the difference between knowing God and, and being known by God, because there is a big difference. When we do our best to earn God's favor, when we do our best to try to obey the law, and we do that in a way to try to make God look at us and be happy with us, that is a form of, of knowing God, but not being known by God. We, we know that there's a God and we want to make him happy, and so we do everything that we possibly can do to make him happy and hope that he will look upon us in a good way. That is wrong, and that is a form of knowing God, right? But we need to be known by God. We know who God is, but that doesn't mean he knows us. Uh, the best way I can think of this, I was watching a show this week, a show that I don't like, but was on my TV. 
And so my eyes were on it. And it was a talk show of some sort. And the celebrity talk show person comes standing out and they pan to the crowd. And it is just utterly amazing to me how people will act in the presence of a celebrity. I'm watching as these women, and I don't mean to pick on them, but it was all women uh, in the crowd and it was a woman celebrity. I mean, fanning themselves. They are 36 rows back. They're not even close. They're not even close to this celebrity, but they are fanning themselves because this celebrity has stepped out from behind the curtain and they are freaking out. I mean, just freaking out as ecstatic about what is happening. I don't know your relationship with your celebrity crushes and your celebrity loves. I am not sure. You may know their birthday. You may have a room in your house plastered with their pictures all over the wall. I have no idea. Some of you are older. You may have a statue in your house. I remember uh, some of my grandparents, statues of little celebrities. Elvis, there he is on the phone dancing as the phone rings. I remember that. Okay, that sticks out to me. And you laugh, but I'm sure you have some of the same things. But I'm willing to guess this. Even though you know that celebrity the best you think you can possibly know that celebrity, they have absolutely no idea who you are. And I want to be very frank with you. They don't care about you either. They do not care that you know them. And you know, with, with all the social media now and how we can be in touch and our, our celebrity loves, you know, post things on Twitter all the time and on Instagram all the time. And, and we can know where they are every minute of the day. And you can love that. But they simply don't care. They do not care. You see, there's a big difference between knowing somebody and being known by somebody. And you can know God all that you want. You can know who he is. You can know what he is about. But unless God knows you, then you are an enemy of God. It's as simple as that. You are not his child. You are not his friend. You are not his companion by knowing him. I mean, the Bible tells us Satan knows him. The demons know him. But we must be known by God. We cannot get this backwards. We must be known by him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it's a very little verse. It's very easy to memorize, but it's very vital. We love, why? Because he first loved us. That's why we love him, is because he first loved us. Now, it does break my heart to see people I know love celebrities as much as they do. Because th I'm thinking, no matter how much you love them, they're never going to love you back. You're never going to be in their will. You're never going to get any of their inheritance. And I can promise you this, is what we're finding in our culture, they will disappoint you. They will disappoint you. They will fall short. They will not believe everything that you believe. In fact, I dare say, if you really dive into their life, they hate what you believe. They hate what you believe, right? The Bible tells us the reason we love God is because he first loved us. He draws us to him by his love. And so to be known by God is to be loved by God. It's to be chosen by God. As Christians, as believers, we have been brought from, from death to life not because we seek it. Dead men don't seek anything. No, because God sought you out and he loved you and he called you up from the grave and he showed you his love and he drew you in by his love. 
and we serve him because of his love. It's very different. In Ephesians chapter two, verse four through five, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Paul wants these people to know this. You know what love is. You've experienced the grace of God in your life, church. You, you know that. And that's why it breaks his heart to continue in saying what he's saying. Look at verse 9. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul's saying, why in the world would you run from this love back to something you know will never love you? Why are you returning to that? If you have tasted the love of the Father, if you've tasted of his mercy, if you've experienced his grace, why turn from it? Why, why run from it again? Why go back to that old lifestyle of, of rules? Why, why get rid of the freedom that God has given you to, to shackle yourself again to the bondage of sin and to the ways of this world? Why leave the truth of his love for the fickle feelings of your own person, for your, for your own little feelings why would you run from something that's true to something that is so uncertain? That's what Paul is scared of. Look what he says. You observe days and months and seasons and, and years. What, the, what they were doing is they were trying to observe these laws of the Old Testament that Christ had fulfilled. Now for me, I'm, and maybe for you as I read this, it seems so ignorant to do that. It seems so ignorant to do that. But listen, it is so easy to slip into that. Because for us, it's, even as Christians, it's hard for us to, to understand that the grace of God is enough for us. That God loves us as much as he's going to love us. So much so that he's put the righteousness of his son on our shoulders. It's, it's hard for us to grasp that. And so do you know what we do? We run back to the rules because when we fulfill the rules, it makes us feel good. And we think, oh, he... He must be happy with me today because I'm fulfilling all these rules. But what happens is very soon, what do we realize? <laughs> I'm in bondage again. I broke the rules. I fell short. I'm not living up to my end of the bargain again. And what Paul is saying to this church is, yes, of course, you ran from love to go back into bondage. You're, you're going back to your feelings and how you feel instead of trusting in the truth of God's word. There's a pastor many years ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this way. He says, what matters is not what I feel is true about myself at any moment, but what I know is true about God at every moment. I want you to hear that. We walk around from day to day having ups and downs in our life. Some of you feel great, maybe on Monday, but on Tuesday, you're already beaten. You're already destroyed. And so on Monday... I'm a conqueror, but on Tuesday, I am defeated. That, that's the way our life is because of sin and because of the trials of the world. It will be like that. But what we have as Christians, what God has given us as believers is his truth to hold on to. So that when I go into Monday feeling like I 
am a conqueror and a hero. Uh, I remember the truth of God's word. Tim, you're not as good as you think you are, but because of who Christ is, you are his. Yes, amen to that. Thank you, Lord, for that reminder. On Tuesday, God, I'm a worthless individual. My boss cussed me out. I didn't meet my quota on Monday. Monday. I got a big project due Wednesday. There's no way that's going to get done. God, I'm a complete loser. Oh, but the truth of God's word tells me I've been chosen by God. I'm a son of God's. I'm an heir of God's. He has given me inheritance that in him, I am a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror, it says, because of Christ who lives within me. Okay, so now I can get through Tuesday. Why? Not because of my feelings, but because of the truth of God's love that's been poured out on me. See, there's a big difference there. And Paul wants this church to know that. You've known the love of God, so why in the world would you run from it? He continues on in verse 11 through 16. He said kind of the same thing. You know satisfaction, so why turn from it? Paul really gets personal here in this section. If you look at verse 11, he says, I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. We really see his pastoral heart coming out in this section. He's saying, I'm scared for you. Because I see the road that you're going to go down, and it's not a good road. It leads to death, and it leads to destruction. And so I want to warn you about this. And so he, he gets to verse 12, and he says a statement that I really want us to pull apart this morning. Because he says, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for, be I, for I became like you. I, I want us to unpack that. But before we can unpack that, you need to look at verse 15. Because we need to answer a question kind of from verse 15. In verse 15, Paul asks the church a question. He says, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? Or some translations might say, what was your satisfaction? When talking about his time there at the church and him being able to preach to the church and how they took him in, he's kind of saying, you look to be satisfied. You look to be blessed. What was your satisfaction in that moment? What was your blessing during that time? Now we go back to verse 12 when Paul says, be like me. What what does he mean? Well, I think it's connected to verse 15 in this way. You think about Paul's past. Paul was the Jew of all Jews. He followed the law. He obeyed everything that he was supposed to do. He was very zealous. In fact, he would go over and beyond what the law would say. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, observing everything that he must do. And so he was the Jew of Jews. The law to him was perfect and the law was what he must follow in order to have a relationship with God. But Paul makes a statement there in verse 12. He says, but I became like you. Well, what does he mean? What does he mean by that? I think it's very simple. Paul gave that lifestyle of being a Jew up. It didn't mean anything to him anymore. All the rituals, all the rules. And the reason for that was was very simple because what had happened with Christ is Christ was the full completion of all those festivals. He was the full completion of all the rules, of all the rituals that Paul would be doing. He said, I became like you. He's talking to Gentiles there who the law didn't mean anything to them. The law wasn't part of their life. They didn't know even the Jewish law. They weren't Jews. They didn't care about that. And Paul's saying, in a sense, I became like you to where that didn't mean anything to me anymore. It didn't mean anything to me. And so he's saying, 
you need to be like me now. Why are you going back into this lifestyle where rules and rituals are what you think our faith with the Lord is about? It's not. He's saying, be like me because just how I became like you. It's not about those things. It's not about the law. He's saying, I gave it all up. You see, Paul was like them in other ways as well. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll read verse 19 through 23. This is Paul uh, writing to another church. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as, an out, as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. One of the things that this church had to have seen was Paul become part of their community, to do the things they do, to eat the things that they ate, to, to share life with them. And he, he did this so that he could win them to the Lord, so that he could share the gospel with them. And Paul rested on this. He rested on the gospel when he was ministering to those in Galatians. You'll notice in those verses that Paul talks about being sick and it's obvious that Paul had some sort of sickness when he was with this church, some sort of illness. And if you, will, if you will read the commentaries, they spend much time on trying to figure out what he had. I don't think that matters at all. He could have had malaria. He could have had some, some eye disease or, or something like that. Who knows? But this is a truth. If some prophet comes walking into the town back then and he has malaria or he's sick as can be, one of the first thoughts that would have been on everybody's mind in town would have been this. God's mad at you. You're sick. You're close to death. You're telling me you have a relationship with God. You're telling me that, you know, this stuff about Jesus. But obviously God is mad at you because he has put a curse on you. I mean, that was the common thinking. We, we see this even, you know, when, when Jesus would go to minister to people and they'd be like, what did this boy do to receive this illness from birth? Was it his parents' sin? What was it, right? So it was common even with the Jews for this to take place. And so when Paul walks into town to minister to these people, he wasn't able to woo them over by his looks. He wasn't able to woo them over by uh, how, how clever he was because there was a good chance in between speaking with them, he was then throwing up. Uh, he was then stuck in the house for a few days because his illness had him down again. Or maybe he couldn't even stand and he had to sit when he talked. And I'm sure his authority looked very weak. But that's what Paul is pointing out to them. He's saying, when I came to you, you, you didn't accept me because of how nice I was or anything like that. You accepted me because you accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were saved by the grace of God. And that is why you accepted me. I mean, Paul even points out, he says, they believed so much in Paul's message and the truth of the gospel. They loved and appreciated Paul so much for what he was doing there. It says that they were willing to pluck their eyes out and give it to him if that's what he needed. That's why some people said he had an eye disease. 
that they, maybe they were willing to even give their good eyes so that Paul could see, could see better. Paul's saying, you took me in. This was the blessing that you received. You understood the grace of God. You understood the satisfaction that was found in Jesus. And you treated me greatly. And then he gets to verse 16. And with a broken heart, he has to say, have I therefore become your enemy because of the truth? Have I become your enemy because of the truth? Paul's wondering, how is it that you knew satisfaction in Christ and you're wanting to return again to the bondage of the law? How is it that you loved me so much as the one having the privilege to teach you the truths of God's word that now you hate me? That now you would call me even an enemy of yours. How is this happening? Well, we see how it's happening as we get to verse 17 through 20. All right, look at verse 17. Paul says, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. We've talked much about the Judaizers in the book of Galatians, and so I don't need to go back and tell you who they are. You know who they are. But this group of Judaizers were not just coming and being a part of the church. No, it says they were courting the Galatians. And what that means is they were loving on them. Uh, some of you maybe did this with your spouse when you were dating. You wanted to hold their hand. You wanted to tell them how nice they looked. You wanted to buy gifts for them. You wanted to spend time with them. And I, I dare say as time has went on and you won them over and you got the ring, that oftentimes things change, don't they? Sadly, you don't want to hold hand as much. Don't get close to me in bed. You're hot. Scoot over. I can't sleep when I'm hot, right? Uh, your breath is too much for me right now. Just different things. We, we, all, we all know how that goes. And what's happening right now in this situation is the Judaizers are trying to date these people. They're, 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 they're sucking up to them. They're telling them all of these good things and because they want them in. And what Paul is saying to them, saying to this church is saying, they're doing this not for your good. They're doing this to exclude you because when you believe in their ways, what you're going to have to understand is that they were Jews from birth and that they are better than you. And that's what they want. They want you to believe that. They want you to live like that. They want to oppress you again. Do not fall for the lies. We'll talk about this more tonight as we look, about, look at in this passage of what it means to be a good spiritual leader. But I've been talking recently with people about false teachers and False teachers do not come in and look ugly. False teachers look like a sheep. They want to look nice. They, they want to look like you. They want you to like what they have to say. They would be a bad false teacher if they didn't. Nobody's going to listen to the false teacher who's just a jerk all the time. Nobody's going to listen to the false teacher who doesn't even look very good, doesn't seem to have it all together. What the Judaizers were saying seemed to be very good. They say, we come from Jerusalem. We're being nice to you. We love you. Isn't it obvious? Look at how we're acting. But in fact, what they were doing is they were pulling them back into the pit of despair. Pulling them back into that. False teaching oftentimes looks very pretty. Sounds very good to our ears. It starts to bring us in. 
Again, I asked you earlier if you've had a chance to raise a child or anything like that, but moms and dads who have girls, I know this is it for me, but to let my daughter know, that guy's a slime ball. Yeah, but dad, what he's saying, he's saying I'm so pretty. Yeah, but he's a jerk. It's not true. It's not real. What he's saying are lies to you. Don't fall for it. Yeah, but dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I do. I know exactly what I'm talking about. But dad, I hate you. I don't like you. Well, it don't matter. This isn't good for you. You must believe what I'm saying. That guy's not right. It's lies. It's lies. That's what Paul's doing here with this church. It's lies. They're trying to segregate you. They're lying to you. And then Paul gets to verse 19 and he says a phrase that he only says here. He never says it again. He never says it again, but he says, my little children. He loves this congregation so much that he's saying, you guys are, you're like my children. And he says, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Paul describes himself like a mother here. And again, this is something we'll talk about more tonight, but he goes straight to the pains of birth. And what Paul's describing here is he's saying, the process of me sharing the gospel with you, the process of of discipling you and trying to raise you up and trying to prepare you for this world, living in light of the gospel, all these things that I've done have been very painful for me. It's cost me much. It's cost me time. It's cost me effort. It's cost me money. It's cost me health. I've done all these things to try to raise you up well. And Paul's saying, my little children, am I going to have to do that again? I will. Paul's saying, I will do this until Christ is formed in you. I will go through birth again if I have to for Christ to be formed in you. Now, dads, we don't know what that means. But moms, you, you sure know what that means. That's not a light statement Paul is making. Saying, I love you so much, I'll go through it all again if it means Christ will be formed in you, if it means you will grow in your relationship with the Lord. He says, I want to raise you up to succeed and I'll go through the pain and the hurt in order for that to happen. You see, an important part here is Paul's job was not to produce more Pauls. Because when you go to verse 12 and you say, but Paul said, be like me but you see his heart and the meaning of it in verse 19 when Paul would say, until Christ is formed in you. Paul's job was to see them grow in Christ, not in Paul. As believers, this is our job. This is our task. We must grow in Christ alone. And this can only be done through his word. As we learn God's word more and more, we fall in love with Jesus more and more. As we fall in love with Jesus more and more, it draws us to his word more and more so we can understand him, so that we can be like him, so that we can wear the clothes of Christ, so that we can talk like Christ would talk, so that we can act like Christ would act. And this is a gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us to do this. Last week, we talked about crying out, Abba, Father, and that was a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the other gift that the Holy Spirit gives us is he molds us and makes us into the image of Jesus. We get to become like Christ. And this is our goal. This is what we should desire above everything else. Not that you can be like Elvis. I know I said that jokingly, but I'm being honest. There's so many Christians who are completely lost in idolatry with those things. 
I have to see this. I have to watch this. I have to go to this. You're completely lost in it. Some of you completely lost in Christian entertainment. You worship those things above Christ. It's easy to do. Our goal as Christians is to be like Jesus. And this is what makes faith so difficult. And this is how I want to end. In one sense, faith is very simple. Believe in Jesus. Believe in what he has done for you. Repent of your sins and accept the free gift of grace. Very simple. Very simple gospel message. But on the other hand, it's also very hard. John Piper says it this way. He says, therefore, in one sense, saving faith is the easiest thing in the world, as easy as being clay in the potter's hand. But in another sense, it's the hardest thing in the world because human clay hates being shaped and formed by Christ so that he gets all the glory for what we become. When we look at a piece of art, and I don't know how often you do that. For me, it's not very often. But when I look at a piece of art and I'm amazed by it, or say a building or some sort of architecture, or for me, I guess the best way I thought about this this morning, the first time I walked into Flat Rock Assembly Plant to work, just utterly amazed at the process of building a car. I mean, just simply amazed. Or when you look at a painting, just amazed at the ability that somebody has to paint that. Like, how did they think about that? How did they plan that out? How did they know what to do each step of the way? I never look at a piece of art and talk to the art and say, you are fantastic art piece. When I walked into Flat Rock Assembly Plant, I didn't look at the Mustangs going off the end of the line and say, good job. You did a good job. No, what my mind went to is my mind went to the people who thought about this process. The smart minds who were able to put all that stuff together to make it work so that when that car got to the end of the line, someone could stick a key in it and it would start. That was amazing to me. When I look at that piece of art, my mind goes to the fact that somebody thought about that and somebody had the skill and talent to make that thing. And I never give glory to the piece of art. I always give glory to the artist. One of the things that's so hard for us as humans, and this is where faith is difficult, is we are never to give glory to ourselves but always to the one who is molding us and making us into his image. This is why so many people do not persevere in their faith. This is why so many people fall and you say, well, well where have they been? Oh, they, they went back to their old lifestyle. You know why that is most of the time? They want glory. Not for God to get the glory. They want the glory. And this is the struggle. As we've been known by God and he's poured out his grace on us, the one thing that we cannot ever do is say, hey, look at me and all I've done because I've done nothing. I was a dead man in the grave and he brought me alive. And now everything that I do is because the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. There's a song my kids ask for every time we get in the car. I don't know who sings it, but it's called Alive just like that. And that's the words. I was, I was dead. I was dead in my transgressions with no hope at all. But he made me alive. He made me alive. And so to him is glory and honor. Church, as your pastor this morning, I, I gotta say, I, I must be like Paul. 
and, and it sounds weird to talk like this maybe because of my age, and I, I understand that. But to look at you and say, don't make those bad decisions. Don't go back into slavery and into bondage, into the things of this world, but rest in the truth of who Christ is and what God has done for you. Don't listen to the junk that the world tells you. Trust in the truths of God's word. Stop listening to your inner voice. It's a liar. And listen to the truth of God's word. Stop trusting in the dreams and in the visions that you may be having. I don't know what you ate that night. Trust in the truth of God's word and what it tells you you are and the fact that it tells you you are his and rest in those promises. Because if you start to get off track, if you start to go down that road where you start to believing in these other things, then I am scared for you. I am scared for you because it only leads to destruction. Why in the world would you know the love of the father and turn your back to go taste the love of the world again? Why would you know the satisfaction that is found in Jesus Christ and turn to things that you know do not satisfy? Or why would you have experienced growth in the Lord just to shrink away from it and wither back into the hole of this world? I say that knowing how easy it is to fall into that. But as your pastor, it's my job to warn you, don't do those things. Turn to the Lord, trust in the Lord each step of the way and let him direct your paths. Believe in the truths of his words and the promises there because that is the only thing that we have to hold on to. I wanna end with this last thing and I know it's late and I know we have a meeting to go to. I, I have to go to it as well. But I wanna end with this. I was listening to a podcast. It was a hunting podcast. It had nothing to do with faith whatsoever. It was a hunting podcast and they were talking to some old timer out in Montana. And he made this statement saying, I don't even know why people get married anymore. It's an old, it's an old thing. What, what do we really need it for anymore? And there was a young lady in there with them and he looked at her and he said, hey, are you married? And she said, no. And they started talking and it was very interesting to me to listen to the conversation from there. They, they had no foundation for anything that they were saying. And that's where all of their problems lied. They were saying, yeah, you know, marriage is just something that we kind of made up. And so why, why would we need something like marriage? And she was saying, you know, I barely know who I am right now. How am I going to know who I'm going to be in five years? I might like this guy today, but in five years, we might just be totally different people. I might've learned something else. I might have totally different views in five years. You know, I, I don't really know. And they were all agreeing with it. They were saying, yeah, you're right. You know, how can we, how can we really know anything? I wanted to scream through the phone and say, you can't know anything apart from the truth of God's word because there is no other foundation. The Bible describes it as sand that washes away. That there's only one foundation that is rock solid and, it, and it's the truth of his word. Nothing else. And so, yes, that makes complete sense. What does marriage mean if you don't have this? It means nothing. Well, what does truth mean if you don't have this? It, it means Nothing. What are morals if you don't have this? There are none. You can't tell me what's right and I can't tell you what's right. But thanks be to God, we do have this. And we must hold to this as Christians. We must cling to this. We must, we must know this with our whole heart so that we cannot be swayed 
by those who come in and try to woo us off our feet and sweep us off our feet into destruction. I'm gonna ask if you would bow with me and close your eyes. I wanna pray together. And we're gonna close with prayer. Normally we sing, but we're not gonna sing this morning. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to challenge you this morning to trust in the truth of God's word and nothing else. I hope this week you'll be reminded of this. And as you're struggling with how you feel or how things are going, that you will remember that regardless of those things, God is still on the throne and his truth still remains. And if you've been saved by his grace, you are still his child. Nothing can take you from that. I hope you'll rest in that and I hope you'll share that with others. God, this morning, I'm thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful, God, that I was able to study this this week and even see in my life areas where it's so easy to slip into those lies of Satan. God, guard my heart. Help me to see your truth every day and to lean on your truth, God. God, that's why these little things that become almost elementary to us are so important. It's important that I'm reading your word every day. It's important that I'm praying every day because God, it helps me to stay centered on the truth of who you are and what you have done for me and who I am in you and what my goals and my motivation in life should be to be like Christ. God, you take all of us on different paths, different careers, different areas of the world, but God, still our goal is the same to honor and glorify you in all things. And so God, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, for every Christian in here this morning, I pray that that really would be the goal of their life. God, I have no doubt some of us have gotten off track with that. You've just become uh, one of the goals of many. God, I pray that if that's the case this morning in our hearts, that we would repent of that and that we would have you be our singular goal in life to honor you, to glorify you, to praise you. God, we, we need you desperately to speak to our hearts and to speak to our minds. And we thank you that you've given us your word so that we can know truth. And God, my heart breaks as I listen to those people on that podcast, just talking about how they have no foundation in their life whatsoever. They are blown by the winds of this world back and forth and back and forth. And God, what a, what a horrible way to live. God, I pray that you'd put people in their lives to share the truth with them of the gospel. I pray that you would save their souls so that they would see that there is hope in this world. There is a foundation and it's Christ. God, I I pray that even now as I'm praying, people are responding to your word. I trust that they are. I pray that as we leave this place here in a moment, you would continue to help us to think and reflect and to meditate on the truths of your word. And God, I'm also thankful for people that you've brought before us, spiritual leaders that you've brought before us to teach us the word over and over and over again. I know you've done that in my life and God, I'm thankful for that to help me to make sure I'm on the right track, staying on the right path. God, as we leave this place, help us to be joyful in our hearts. Help us to share the gospel with those that you put in our path. God, help us to glorify you every single step of the way we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.